Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guest. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm Paul Spain, this is episode 153. I'm Paul Brislin. And I'm Bill Bennett. Welcome along guys, great to have you both here. Hi Paul, good to be here. Just to fill in the picture, for those that don't uh, know you, Paul, where do you fit into the, uh, yes. the technology and telecommunications world? God forbid, I am the Chief Executive of the Telecommunication Users Association, 2ANS, so we uh, lobby on behalf of customers and uh, try to remind people that um, uh, customers are quite an important part of the whole infrastructure. They certainly are. Mm. And you're pretty good at uh, stir- stirring <laughs> things up in those regards. Well, you know, it's kind of a job requ- requisite, really. You've got to be able to uh, create a little bit of trouble. Um, yes, yes. And less said about that, the better. Yes. Ex- excellent. All right. <laughs> well, on from the troublemaker to another troublemaker, Bill Bennett. <laughs> yeah, I make trouble online writing stuff about tech business. I try to make as much trouble as possible. No, seriously, I try to be as objective as possible. At digital.co.nz. Yeah. Yes. Yep. All right. Great. Well, well, let's uh, let's jump in now. In terms of local things that have been happening in the, in the last few days, uh, there's been a fair bit that falls into your court, Paul, in terms mm. of telecommunications. Um, f- now, first up, telecom some time ago, told, well, a long time ago, told us that they mm-hmm. were going to launch 4G. LTE network yep. here in New Zealand, and we've heard various things, and there's been a bit of a trial, and or, or, or more than one along along the way. Um, one of which I was I was on a few months ago, and that was all all good fun. Mm. Um, Vodafone, of course, meantime launched their 4G LTE services earlier on the year, and every week or two we hear from them again about a new city yep. or town or new something upgrade. that they've yeah. they've uh, they've launched 4G, and so they're uh, they're pretty well around a lot of the. Uh, a lot of the country now, it's certainly in, in terms of the, the, the bigger, yeah. the yeah, bigger yeah, towns and, and certainly and cities mm. are, are generally covered now. Uh, but telecom have confirmed that they will be turning on their official 4G LTE network uh, mid-November. So their customers are going to be able to get some, um, some reasonably snappy speeds. That's right. Um, uh, they're using uh, Huawei equipment um, for the most part for the network. And... Um, they hope to be fully engaged out there in the market by early November, isn't it? I think it's the twelfth. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So they, initially, they're going to have um, some coverage in Auckland, some in Wellington, some in Christchurch. Not, not extensive, but it puts them out there with their network sort of turned mm. on uh, ahead of Christmas, and no doubt that you know we're going to see. Uh, yeah, reasonably sort yeah. of rapid increase as probably along the lines of what we've seen from uh, Vodafone. Would that be your, your pick, Paul? I think so. They, they really do have to match Vodafone's uh, deployment. Uh, they can't be in second place. You know, this is the smartphone network, they like to call it. Um, it's important to them that they're out before Christmas because uh, Christmas is the big quarter for sales of handsets and uh, new sign-ups. Uh, for all the telcos so they'll be out there competing uh, vigorously I think about 40% of their devices are uh, 4G ready already they'll have a whole new suite of phones coming out over Christmas and um, it's the start of the the 4G wars in many respects because they're coming out with a different pricing model to Vodafone's Mm, but that's um, the interesting thing of course as we learnt today is that there's only really three bidders for the network 
for the new network. Oh, you're talking about the 700 megahertz yes, spectrum. What about Tex Edwards? Tex oh, is in there. Yeah, but Tex is in there as a troublemaker. So yeah. for, those that, for those that don't know Tex, he, I guess he was the big personality behind what became... Uh, Two degrees, two degrees and spent a, mm. a, a lot of time sort of lobbying and and uh, and stirring things up, um, but but I guess for a period of what the better part of ten years before two yeah, degrees yeah, actually absolutely. launched. Uh, and, and Paul, you could probably fill us in mm. on, uh, on on what Texas he's been history on on <laughs> well on what, what what he's been doing. Uh, have you followed that in terms of yeah, his? Uh, yeah. um, but because what I guess what we've got is that all the carriers have some spectrum to deliver some four G or LTE uh, yeah. capability today. But to cover the broader mm. area of New Zealand, we need that seven hundred megahertz frequency uh, that's been used for TV uh, analog TV broadcast. Yeah. Basically, it goes um, for and yeah, yeah. Uh, and that that spectrum frees up yeah. uh, mm. in how many weeks' time? Well, the, the, they're switching it off piece by piece all around but the, the country. The last so the bit last turns of it off 1st of November, right? Um, yeah. 1st of December. 1st of December. Yeah, yeah. So it's weeks out until, yeah. uh, until that spectrum is is no longer needed for that and it becomes available for uh, the, the for, carriers for to, uh, to, to bid yeah. on and, uh, and, the and buy for their the networks. Month, I think. Uh, I think it's early next year. Is it early? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, and then they can take over fully uh, towards the end of next year. Oh, okay. There are a couple of issues with the, with all of that. So this is the 700 megahertz stuff. So as you say, it's it's vital really to the 4G deployment. But at this stage, there are no handsets or devices that will use 700 megahertz. Uh, so it's very theoretical at this point. You know, there's uh, this is always a bit of a problem with the telco space. Um, you've got to buy spectrum. Uh, well ahead of need because you, the, the sale only comes up once every 15 to 20 years. Now we argued long and hard that there shouldn't be a spectrum auction at all, uh, that um, we've got three bidders, we've got three lots of uh, 20 megahertz each, so why not simply hand it over to them on the basis that they deploy as quickly as possible uh, throughout the country, maybe put in requirements for them to deploy in rural areas uh, where the benefits will really be seen. Um, the government decided not to do that. They want uh, $100 million at least each out of uh, the three telcos. Um, we've now got um, uh, all three main telcos are bidding, but also, as you say, Texas put his hand up and said he'll be bidding too. And how's he going to bid? What, uh, he's going he going to pay for He it? says that um, since this is all a bit theoretical and that the entire business model is based on um, uh, market share, rather than on actual revenue, he will uh, rock up with some um, uh, two-degree SIM cards, probably a truckload of them, and pay his $5 million deposit using them, uh, which should be quite entertaining to watch and, and full power to him, I say, more, more, more power, uh, because uh, really the idea of holding an auction is, is purely so that the government can get a cash injection. Uh, and it's not really that much when you're a government. Um, we're talking a couple of hundred million dollars. Yeah, they're looking for they're looking for 198, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. it's not a lot of money for a government, um, and yet that money should would be better spent, I think, on on the networks themselves. I mean, two degrees is in a very tricky spot at the moment. It's expanding rapidly. It's got um, what, in many respects, it's the second largest mobile player. Certainly in the prepay space now, it's overtaken telecom. And yet, as far as revenue goes, it's less than 10% market share. So you're talking about a very precarious position in the market. They've got network deployment still needed, and now they're being asked to stump up um, tens of millions of dollars for basically a piece of paper that says, yes, you can have this 
spectrum. But they, have, they that, have, that is a real concern. But they have got the funding in order to uh, do that. Possibly. Possibly they have. I'd rather they were spending it on the network instead of giving the cash to the government. Well, 200, um, $200 million buy a lot of rural. It would certainly it would, it would buy you a lot of towers in rural yeah. New Zealand. And, and that's really my concern. On top of that, the government has said, uh, the minister, Amy Adams, has said she's quite happy if one of the players drops out and instead of getting three lots of 15 megahertz each, we have two players who get 20 megahertz each and one that doesn't get anything at all or gets only five megahertz. Now, that is, to my mind, the worst possible outcome because I don't know if anybody remembers life before two degrees. We had a thing called the cosy duopoly. And the, the two telcos sat there on their hands, not competing as vigorously as they should uh, for a very long time. Um, you need three strong players. You need them all to have an equal footing in this market in order for it to be competitive. Uh, and I think um, uh, most New Zealanders would be really unhappy if we went back to just two players in the market. I'm also disappointed that the Call Pluses and the Orcons are not there. Mm. I think they're, yeah. ju- they're just too small to be able to get in. The, the cost, to be able to get in. Know, and there isn't yeah. enough spectrum available, really, for any more players, is there? Three's probably three, a, a, three a lots good of 15 sort of is a good spot, number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Interesting that Telecom's chosen Huawei because one of the big um, uh, advantages that Huawei brings to the table is that they are investing heavily in the uh, the sort of the next generation of 4G technology, if, if you want to call it that. There are various releases and various versions of, of um, LTE, uh, and Huawei is already talking about um, some of the more advanced capabilities, things like uh, spectrum sharing. So your phone will say, okay, well, uh, you know, as long as you've got the radios in the phone, um, you've got 700 megahertz spectrum. You've also got 1800 megahertz, 2100, 2600 and all the rest. It will uh, aggregate it all together, giving you a massive amount of bandwidth uh, to play with, which is really very cool stuff. You know, if they can make that work, that will be very yeah, good. Yeah, the, other, the others seem to be doing that as well. I think um, mm. the Nokia uh, Siemens... Uh, uh, demo that I just you know, looked at a few months ago yeah, that was yeah, showing some yeah. of those similar right. but Huawei's, similar sorts Huawei's things, come but from nowhere in the last four or five years yeah. and is suddenly it's out it there it is the number one well, they're, the big, they're the biggest player now they are, they uh, are. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think most of the world's LTE deployments are on Huawei and the reason is they are um, offering world class kit uh, at, a, at a vastly cheaper price and it's um, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how the Americans cope with that because, of course, um, they, they seem to think that Huawei is um, going to spy on them. Or uh, make unlike it very any Americans. For, yeah, <laughs> make it difficult for the Americans to spy on us is probably more of the point. Yeah, uh, fascinating, but, um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that, that will all play out. But the new technologies are astounding, especially in rural areas. You've got things like um, beam following. So uh, say, for example, you're in a car traveling across a cell site in rural New Zealand um, traditionally, it would just blast out the signal to right. in omnidirectional. Um, with this kind of technology, it will actually follow you across the cell site, uh, ensuring that you've got good signal all the way across, which is going to be just fantastic. Uh, and is it Huawei that's got the um, handoff to Wi-Fi as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, they've done yeah. a lot of work in that yeah. area. Yeah, yeah. And again, yeah. I think that's happening. You know, a number number of them are, mm. do, are doing similar things. There are some new standards to come through there. That will will mean you know unlike the, I mean we've had obviously telecoms announcement uh, last week around their uh, you know the Wi-Fi service they're bundling for their customers yeah um, but that that's still somewhat manual for you to connect to it but it will become uh, the, nor- the norm the norm in, in in the future mm. where uh, your phone will will pick up 
a 3G, a 4G, mm. or a Wi-Fi signal, and, and use it for for what it needs well, yeah. seamlessly how, without you having to, you know, tell it that there's a Wi-Fi. That's and right. You need to how how important? It's not. It's, it's not. You don't need to manually connect. If you've got your phone set for Wi-Fi to the telecom network, it'll it'll handle that automatically. Yeah, but you, you've got to connect once, yeah. right? Yeah, so yeah. you're still yeah. gonna, you've got to go through yeah, that yeah, process yeah. and have connected to mm. it before. I, I think um, that's probably the most exciting development of all, actually, because. Um, as as in my work, I often have to travel around Auckland, and I need to get I need to get some kind of coverage. Um, my word, I was doing my two gigabits of uh, mobile data. I usually I've usually used that all by about the second, well, certainly by the beginning of the second week of the mm, month. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just being able to rock up to a cafe on Ponsonby Road or somewhere, yeah, get the iPad out and do some work. Without having to worry about whether the cafe's got Wi-Fi or not, it's a big difference for me. It's pretty handy. So, um, but between you, I mean, we just had the announcement last week, but mm. it's now in play. Have have either or both of you been using that Wi-Fi? Yeah. And how widespread are you finding it? I, I've been using it since last Christmas, actually. Um, right, because yeah, they had that that earlier. Yeah. But it, it's it's out in more places now. Yeah, and it's going to yeah. keep growing, isn't I, it? And I keep finding it in new places, and that's and that's kind of interesting. The one thing that's disappointing from my personal point of view, and it's 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 just a you know just me really is that the cbd isn't very well covered where there are cafes right so you need if you're going to go to a cafe uh that's maybe one of the things that you're going to check for either they've got good wi-fi in their own as part of the package or that they're close to a um a telecom hotspot yeah i mean Mm. being the parnells the ponsonby roads even the north shore is pretty good but actually in the middle part of town Finding a cafe where there's uh, um, the telecom Wi-Fi is, is hard. They might be a little bit cautious too because there are a lot of uh, people living in the CBD. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just Radiation, theorizing here. Tinfoil hats. No, 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 no. They don't. And if and if you're living in an, in an apartment and not too far up. Uh, you can they, they, borrow it. They, they could find yeah. that a whole lot of people are cutting off their existing telecom, mm. uh, uh, you know, internet connections to use the free Wi-Fi yep. that's accessible from the from the, from the street. That's I'm sure there'll be one or two. Well, one or two trying that on. I'm yeah. for sure. well, I mean, they give you a gig, yeah. gigabyte worth of data a day, so it's not a, it's a, not too a, a well, huge amount, and maybe not enough to replace most. Uh, re- residential connections, thirty but, gig a uh, month. That's more than the average telecom user uses. Yeah, each month. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, but you wouldn't be able to stream video. But where I would like, what I would like to see is when you. I mean, if I go to Wellington, for example, I really hate that thirty bucks or one hour's mm. worth of hotel Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah that's um, that's hopeless. So if anyone knows which that. hotels in Central Wellington are near the <laughs> Wi-Fi network, you know. Give me away. See, I've call. gone the other way. Uh, since getting 4G, I don't look for a Wi-Fi hotspot at all uh, because I'm just looking through the speed test here on my phone. Uh, 40 down, 20 up, 72 down, 30 up, 71 down, 15 up, so you get very 67. So very high speed, faster Absolute, than ADSL. Yeah, yeah, much faster yeah. than ADSL, faster than uh, most Wi-Fi, certainly cafe Wi-Fi. Um, but you're going to be running over your uh, your cap, aren't you? Well, I, I get about 3 gig. Uh, I shall have a little plan. look while we're here. I'm trying to remember what my plan is. It's either 2 or 3 gig a month. And because... Uh, most of the time, I'm either in the office or at home. Right. Uh, it's only really when, when I you're am out and mobile. About, you're okay. Uh, and that's um, that means yes, yeah, so I've I've got one and a half gig now. Somebody's done the dirty on me there. I shall be ringing uh, uh, my lawyer immediately after I get out of here. <laughs> um, they've they've culled out half my data. But this is going to be one of the big issues, and and um, certainly for telecom customers 
um, uh, on prepay because that's the other aspect to the telecom launch. They're they're doing prepay four G. Whereas Vodafone is not; it's only on account. Yeah, so it's um, available it's, prepay, and yeah. it's also available for any of their customers at no additional. That's right. You charge, don't pay the ten dollar ten dollar um, premium on Vodafone, yeah. as well as it being excluded currently for from, prepaid from customers. Prepay. You've got to imagine, though, that Vodafone probably didn't intend that for the longer no, term. No, no, that's just why um, you have make money while you can. While while they didn't have any competition in yeah, 4G. Yeah. They may as well get a little bit of a, a payback on uh, whatever it's cost That's them right. to deploy it a little bit sooner than anyone else. Because it's always interesting, I find, that you, you spend half a billion dollars, build this network, deploy it, and everybody says, so it'll be cheaper than the old one, will it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's ten times the speed and, and half the price. Yes, that'll be great. It's quite an interesting business model to Well, that's always that the work. consumer's expectation. It absolutely and, and, and surely with your two ends Rightly on, so, Paul, I say. Um, you're, you're encouraging the telcos to spend hundreds of millions and then... Uh, uh, give everything away for free well they they don't miss out because of course when they've deployed 4g um they get a lot more um custom, more customers per megabit per second yeah, than data. they would on on uh, on the 3g network for instance but the other thing about that ten dollars um charge from vodafone i think it's also good because it trains people to mm. put a value on the surface i mean i'm not saying it's good from a consumer point of view. Yeah. It's from their mm. point of view. It, it tells people, well, this is actually worth paying a bit more for. Well, it, I yeah. believe it also has the benefit, and Paul, you were just you know sharing your speed test results mm. there. Those, in my experience, are quite high for 4G networks, or LTE networks, yeah. uh, in, internationally. Uh, and I think the reason being is that Vodafone... <laughs> have limited it yeah, and yeah, so yeah. it's not just everyone with a 4G device can use it it's those that are on a, on a higher end plan that's right uh, who yeah. get it for free or those that are on a, on a lower plan like the plan I'm mm. on currently who are shelling out the $10 a month to get access uh, to that 4G service so yeah, yeah. it's probably I mean I could pull a number out of the air you, yeah, you uh, might no, be able to guess no, better no, than no, me yeah. but it might be 5% of yeah. their users yeah. for instance um, or whatever yeah. the figure is that are using it so um, of course that's a yeah, light loading yeah. and uh, will actually help them probably deliver faster average speeds than what telecom do if they have some sort of ongoing premium exactly. associated yeah, it's, with it's it. It's what yeah. economists call ra- rationing by price. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to rationing by queuing up for some that, bandwidth. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm sure that'll come along as yeah. well. Um, and, yes. and in some ways, I think that's that's probably good on an ongoing basis. Although maybe the ten dollars mm. could flip down to. You know, one dollar or two two dollars. So certainly, it'll be interesting to see when Vodafone goes prepay with it because most of Vodafone's customers are on the prepay um, billing cycle. So if you suddenly had a major rush over Christmas, for example, of people getting iPhones and you know um, on prepay getting getting access to four G, you could imagine they'd have a lot of trouble. Vodafone's um, biggest customer base is in Auckland; they're all on prepay. Uh, and it becomes a real problem managing that kind of crush when suddenly everybody comes back from the holiday with a device capable of using this. And uh, we saw this a few years ago with um, the first iPhones that came out on sale. Suddenly, instead of um, texting each other at lunchtime, all the students would come out and update Facebook. And instead of it being (laughs) a few text messages flying around, suddenly it was a data dump uh, on the network, and uh, parts of the network simply couldn't cope. So... It, it is a major concern for them to manage that um, that transition. Mm. 
All right, now, a um, few other topics going on. Uh, last week we talked about some new smartphones that were launching, one of them the uh, Sony Xperia Z1. We chatted through that. That, I think, landed um, officially shortly after we recorded the podcast in terms of its launch. That's available now. Uh, now, we've given plenty of discussion about telecom. Now, Vodafone, what's what's going on there? Bill, what happened? Tell us about uh, Friday's... Oh, the event um, or, or, or announcement from uh, well, from, actually, from Vodafone. There were two announcements last week actually from Vodafone. They 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 announced their business class and their residential class UFB plan mm. separately. So the ultra fast broadband plan, the initial business announcement, was quite focused, wasn't it? Yeah. It wasn't a broad range of plans. They've they've sort of taken initial uh, bite there. Yeah. And 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 it's very much sort of business class service, business class prices. It's, it's very much in line with the um, the other service providers too. It, it's a sort of a it's a bundled offering with some uh, voice over IP or internet yeah, yeah. Uh, based phone lines, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and that's in stark contrast to their residential offering, which is really different from all the other residential offers we've seen to date because it comes bundled with TV. Mm. Sort of. Sort of. Sort well, of. It can come bundled with TV. Well, you can pay yeah. extra and get the TV. That's right. But the um, but it's still um, it was it was it's quite bold and different, and um, it's good to see people trying something. Yeah, it else. is. It really is. Even if it's really just a, a, an updated version mm. of the Telstra Clear um, cable cable TV offerings. cable TV offering. Yeah. Um, but it's still. Still, Vodafone is certainly setting out to differentiate themselves in the market, which is uh, is, is really good because it was beginning to look like they were all a bit bland and um, mm, a bit me too. Yeah, a bit me too. Yeah. So, um, so the thing is, is that if you're a Vodafone customer, you can have Sky TV across the UFB. Now, that you know doesn't sound like a killer thing until you realise that everything now comes in HD, whereas before. On the satellite service, a lot of stuff was um, standard definition. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think it's necessarily everything. It's uh, it will come down to the content, whether the content's being yeah, pr- if it's generated, pr- pr- you HD, know, pr- yeah. pr- produced in and and um, you know HD or not. Yeah. If it's HD content, though, it will be served up as HD on that network. Yeah, they won't be scaling it back yeah. or, or charging yeah. you extra. For they're it. taking whatever direct feed they get from Sky, aren't yeah. they? And, yeah. and and pushing that out. So, um, I mean, sim- simply put, their offerings, from what we can tell, are exactly the same as what we shared uh, probably a couple of months ago, actually, in terms of pricing. Is that right, Bill? When it, we, we, there was an article uh, went up on digital yeah, and we yeah. talked about it on the podcast. So Vodafone uh, did that sort of soft launch of their ultra-fast broadband yeah. uh, plans that started at uh, $95 for uh, a, a 30 megabit uh, down, 10 meg up, and 80 gigs of data, and then you could get $30 off that if you had a, uh, Vodafone. a Vodafone on account uh, mobile. So the, all of those prices are up on the um, the ufb.org.nz website if you want to have a look alongside all the uh, all the others, which is the the pa- which started from one of the pages on the NZ Tech Podcast yeah. site that we uh, <laughs> realised there was far too much to put on one page, so it's all up there at, at ufb.org.nz. And there weren't any surprises in the pricing? No, but I guess what, what we didn't know back then when we put those prices online is that there's a free, basically you'll get a free set-top box with most of the plans that will give you access free to 
to the Freeview channels, uh, a little bit of optional uh, movies that yeah. are sort of on demand, mm. Uh, mm. and there's a DVR capability, yeah. so you can record TV with that free yeah. free box, and it's all delivered over the ultra-fast broadband uh, network. So that's uh, quite nice to have for free, isn't uh, it? And it's a very distinct package. It's a very... I mean, it's, it's, no one else has anything like it, and um, the uh, Vodafone guys are talking about it being exclusive... Well, we're not entirely sure what that means. <laughs> yeah, for how long <laughs> yeah. and, and what components. Well, yeah. certainly the box is, is somewhat exclusive yeah, to them because yeah. this is the, the, the tea box that, uh, you know, that Telstra yeah. Clear have been selling for a long time. It's basically exactly the same box with, with a software update, new user you know, and interface. And a V instead and, of a T. Uh, and a, yeah, Vodafone, yeah. Vodafone, uh, Vodafone <laughs> logo on it. Uh, lots of red. Yeah, it's interesting. This is the first use of um, the the special RF overlay channel on the UFB. So what that means is that uh, anything that's delivered over it won't come off your data cap. Uh, it doesn't interfere with the speed you're getting. So there'll be no issues around, hopefully no issues around congestion or um, problems where everybody's trying to watch a different stream, you're trying to get some work done at home, and the whole thing collapses under the strain. This is one of the benefits of moving to fibre, you know, one of the many, many benefits of moving to fibre over copper the, is that you can do this kind of thing. You can separate it out and have a separate channel. The one thing that disturbed me um, was they didn't... Now, Vodafone didn't quite go as far as saying that Sky TV was the killer app, mm. but they did say that they thought this was the thing that was going to get New Zealanders onto UFB, which I think yeah. is probably true, actually. Yeah, it's absolutely right. But if that's the killer app... It's a bit disappointing. Well, I don't think Sky itself is the killer app. I think video content is the yeah. killer app. And what they've got to now do, uh, and according to the Commerce Commission today, um, there is plenty of content out there that is not held by Sky, which um, anybody can come along and offer a decent online um, co- uh, package uh, for pay TV. Uh, what we've got, though, is a, a very traditional model from Sky and from Vodafone. It's a channel-based model. We're not talking about video on demand like you would get with a Netflix or a Hulu. Uh, it's very much what you get from Sky today, just delivered over a different and medium. And it's not atomized either. It's what you've no, got that's, to, that's right. You've got to I, get it and I, and I guess the, the, one of the points that, that um, Bill and I discussed with, with Vodafone uh, last week and, and tried to sort of get out of them was it was a bit more information around what's coming mm, yeah. and you know the, one of the comments was look yes we could deliver a Netflix style on demand we could do this we could do that you know we were asking them obviously around things like the uh, English you know Premier League uh, football yeah, right uh, you know could there could there be a, a, an option on that box to deliver that now mm. of course we know that that telecom have done a deal uh, you know in those regards and so probably that's not something that will happen from uh, Vodafone there's probably some sort of exclusivity yeah. also uh, you know Vodafone <laughs> clearly have a pretty close relationship uh, with with Sky. So that particular one Mm. isn't likely to happen anytime soon, but they were talking to the fact that there are a whole lot of possibilities and they do expect to deliver yeah. more through that box. But yeah, well, they, I, well they, actually, they were actually quite specific. They said there will be a number of announcements over the next mm. six to nine months. Which is good because yeah. it, this this whole exclusivity thing is, is really quite a, um, a, a hindrance and I think it's a bit of a, a problem. We saw this many years ago in the mobile market when Vodafone had VLive and Telecom had... Uh, I can't even remember what they call it. Deduce, that's what it was called. I went on a boat um, to celebrate them launching it. Nobody knew what it was. 
Um, and it, it was it was a walled garden approach where yeah. uh, you know you can see this evolving. If you want the football, um, you have to be with telecom. If you want the sky, you have to be with Vodafone. But that's how it works uh, in Australia with Telstra yeah, and it doesn't and work, does it? Yeah. It's it's yeah. hopeless. You you want to be able to say, here's my internet connection. Now I'd like to watch this television program. Please sell it to me. Not um, oh, who's my ISP? What are their content deals? Who do I get? I don't need them to find me content. I am quite capable of finding my own content. I found when I was living in Australia that you had a choice between. I think I th- now I could have this wrong, but I mm. think it was Telstra had the rugby league yeah. and Optus had the Australian rules. That'd be right. I wanted the Super Fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to get dial-up from yeah. iInet, and um, it's only available in black and white, and only the games where Australia wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can see it now. So, what what's the solution to the these sorts of issues, Paul? Have you got any particular oh, take? Do. And I'm and I'm sure you you do because you're uh, you're usually fairly well versed, and uh, you have an easy solution I to, have such uh, an to easy all solution. of these problems. There's usually a little bit of regulation required. <laughs> well, a little bit. Um, In this case, it, it's quite straightforward. You know, you can't treat the broadcasting industry as being separate from telecommunications. Um, all around the world, you're getting a, a converged regulatory regime where you have somebody who looks at um, all of these issues that broadcasting faces, uh, you know, anti-siphoning laws, uh, whether you've got to make certain programs available free to air, and typically that's sport, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, Media ownership laws, all of that is then grouped in together under one uh, regulator, uh, and we don't have any of that in New Zealand, so we've got to build all of that at some point. Uh, but now they're converging them with the telecommunications regulator because it's becoming quite obvious that um, uh, there's a lot of opportunity for gaming of a system. If I'm uh, if I spend my money buy content and put it out over an ISP, it's considered internet and therefore is fully regulated under the Telecommunications Act. If I do the same thing under broadcasting, um, I can knock myself out and do whatever I like and charge whatever I like because it's broadcasting. It's the same thing. It's just two different words for the same product. And effect. New Zealand's broadcasting is probably the least regulated in the world. It, it is. There's yeah. no no specific regulation yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, you've got no regulator, no oversight. Uh, the issue today with Sky TV and the Commerce Commission um, uh, has, has been an 18-month investigation. Uh, the commission says, yes, there's absolutely something going on here, uh, but the next step for them is to lay a complaint with the High Court and take sky through the court process now that will go on for years and and we've seen this in the telco space um you know telecom launched uh, a numbering scheme many years ago the 0867 numbering scheme uh which was anti-competitive uh they got dragged through the courts for the better part of a decade and recently was resolved um fairly poorly um and was completely irrelevant by the time the decision came out you want to be able to move quickly to to make sure that the level playing field is level right the way through and, and, and that requires a regulatory regime and if you're that. a smart 18 year old right now you would be considering a, a, a yeah. media a, law a, degree a, a career in this space because <laughs> it's the wild west at the moment there's yeah. absolutely nothing here at all and and it's part of the challenge that you know we continue to have with technology moving mm. very very yeah. quickly and you know governments and and uh, you know certainly lawmaking processes uh, not able not able to keep Dead up right. you know, particularly yeah. well yeah. and you know we're relying on you know uh, le- legislation that's mm. been around for uh, for many many years 
and when it was conce- you know when it was conceived in most cases uh, yeah. you know not no no one really could have understood quite how things would would Just be well, and, and let's, let's yeah. be brutal our lawmakers our government our MPs, a lot of them are not up to the job. Does anyone remember Skynet? Skynet, I, I have nightmares about watching that. It's the, the parliamentary debate to end all debates um, with, with people who didn't understand what they were doing declaring themselves for one side of the law or the other with no understanding at all as to the, as to the impact. Yeah. Uh, and now I see there's a, a, a call today to revisit the Copyright Act only, what, two or three years later uh, because it's, it's simply not up to, up to the job. Well, I think that will continue to happen for some time to I come, Paul. I suspect so. <laughs> okay, so uh, we've covered Sky, Telecom, Vodafone. Kim.com and Orcon got together last week. They did. Um, Orcon put uh, $35,000 um, on the table for Kim.com, I, I believe, who he has uh, kindly given away to, uh, to charity mm. uh, to appear on some adverts for, uh, for Orcon. And uh, we're hearing um, a story about New Zealand's internet being uh, being third world. Which I bought into that argument because I'm deeply concerned that I got I actually got a message from someone overseas saying, is that right? New Zealand's internet mm. is third world. Because uh, Tim Kim.com is a global figure. He's known around the world. Uh, he says something. He gets an audience anywhere. Well, he's got hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers, and, yeah. and only yeah. some of the, a small number of those are going to be in New Zealand. Yeah. So, so the problem is, is that he says something now in in the in context in New Zealand. What he said about our th- our um, internet may make sense if you actually heard the whole thing. That's right. Right. But that's not the headline. That's not the story that's gone out. And I'm, I'm as I say, deeply concerned about that because I actually thought, well, I'm going to go and check this out. I'm going to do the old fact-checking routine mm. here. And it turns out that actually, in global terms, our internet isn't just pretty good. It's pretty damn good. I mean, we're in, in many measures, we're in the top sort of 15, 16 countries. And it's very rare that we're not. The, there's, the, there's a couple of sort of areas which are a bit more debatable. But uh, people, people have been saying to me recently, well, what about the data caps? Uh, surely that's an only a New Zealand thing. Well, no, it's not. It's, um, Canada has data caps. Some accounts in Canada are capped at two gigs a month. Mm. Um, and so the whole argument that's to do with international connectivity just falls apart. That's, that's interesting that Canada would have data caps when they're uh, right, when, right when, when they're, yeah. they're they're virtually the United States from a connectivity perspective. Because because data caps are not about limiting traffic on the international cables; they're actually about differentiating busy users from you know d- different classes of users. So if you're the kind of person that uses more internet, you pay more for your account than someone who doesn't use very much. It's just a, a you know a tool to divide. It's the old thing of um, dividing up a market into different tiers mm. and charging different prices. And that's that's probably the the, the thing that he's going on about the yeah. most. I mean, our, our view on on data caps is that um, I don't have an electricity cap. You know, I don't yeah. try. I don't have to guess what I'm going to use in terms of electricity this month. You know, does the TV? Oh, I've got a new TV. Does that? But does you, it, but you do you know, pay for oh, your electricity you according to what you, you use. That's right? right. That's so right. If you and use a lot of you should get free internet access yeah mm. if you use a lot of electricity this month you pay more for it but i don't have to guess ahead of time uh, in the broadband market you do you've got to sit there and say well this month you know might have to have 75 gigs of traffic 
uh, or next month it might only be five gigs of traffic. Why don't they just bill me per gig and let me pay for it as I go? Well, and I then think there are some ISPs that do. There, there are. There are, are also there are also something. power companies that will will force give you a prepay pack to be on yeah. a tier or on onto uh, things. So, yep. I mean, there are different ways of. I think it. ideally everyone would would like for the data caps to go away. Yeah. Uh, but as Bill says, there are some there are some reasons. Yeah, mm. business or or, oh, or otherwise right, right. for uh, splitting that splitting those it's all things about up rationing. Um, yeah. Yes. But yeah. you know, I I don't have any problem with uh, you know with with Orcon using this to sort of stir up a little no, bit. No, no, that's right. Uh, controversy, exactly. get a bit of discussion going, yep. get some publicity for them. They're a smaller player, and yeah. and, and uh, you know oh, for hey. them to get attention, uh, yeah, you know, their, their pockets maybe that. aren't as, as deep as some of the other <laughs> players. So but, hey, this is getting them a bit of extra attention. Yeah. Now, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Paul. There's there is there's an important point though. The problem is, is that people sitting in Silicon Valley are thinking of investing in New Zealand tech firms. They might not do it if they if they hear stories about us having third world internet. You know, people might be thinking, "Oh, we're thinking of setting up a, a research lab in New Zealand, or a, or hiring some programmers there, or maybe even just employing programmers who work from home." Sure, in New and, Zealand. and perceptions reality, yeah. isn't it? So yeah. it, do, it does have an impact internationally in terms of how we're perceived yep. and and that could have a flow on effect to investments and, mm. and, and other things that are made and I, and I think that that's a that's a fair point and uh, so on that basis um, what should we do well I think the <laughs> thing to do is just to tell people that it's not really you know but the it's not quite as bad as, yeah, as maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at the OECD rankings, we're uh, pricing-wise, we're in the middle. Yeah. Usually, um, if you look at, uh, there's a new report out today um, by the W3C Commission, I think, uh, saying that um, in terms of infrastructure, uh, we're, we are we're in the top 15 or 20. Yeah. We've, um, we've just bounced world. up a couple of yeah, places, yeah. I think, above the US. Better than yeah. Australia, yeah, up there with the US mm. and some mm. of the uh, Scandinavian countries. In front of France and Germany, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, so, I so. Uh, so, so good, you know, there is a lot of, hear, though, there is a good it? upside. Yeah, yeah. 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 But um, you're dead right. He's raised an important issue, and it's, it's good to get people thinking about um, the choices in the marketplace because uh, it's what it really does concern me in the telco space. You've got for retail customers, you've got two choices, Vodafone or Telecom, and then everybody else. Hmm. Uh, and they account for about 80 to 90% of each market segment. Uh, and that is a real concern because the minnows are just too small to uh, to get any traction. Well, Auckland's got to shout louder to get heard. It does. It does. And this is a great way of doing that. Yeah. Yep. Um, no, and, and I mean, that's certainly something that I think is good for the market in general. Uh, is having this competition. I mean, we, we've seen it in so many other yeah. areas where there's good competition. We get much more innovation, and, and it ends up better for uh, yeah. you know for everyone. I mean, That's the right. days when uh, um, yeah everyone used everything sort of Microsoft sort of technology wise mm. to where we are now. Uh, I mean, thing there is so much technology innovation uh, yeah. today to com- you know compared to where we were sort of uh, you know say eight years ago. Oh, that's it's, right. Uh, it is. It's and, tremendous to and see, it's, and it's all part of that. Now. Yeah. Um, and other other uh, other things, uh, Silk Road has shut down with the arrest of um, what's the chap's name, Ross William Ulbricht. How do you pronounce I, his I name? No Either idea. of you guys no, uh, able, not, able to ha- handle that? Not um, going to go near that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, how, how not to run a criminal empire? Put it on the internet and tell everybody about it. It's fascinating, isn't it? It that, really is. I mean, I I. Um, um, 
hadn't heard too much about it in the past. I mean, every now and then you'd see a news story. Uh, but, uh, but um, yeah, actually, we, we, you know, we had this online uh, place where uh, people could, um, you know, go buy, buy and sell, uh, buy and sell uh, illegal drugs. Well, who would have thought that could possibly happen? <laughs> <laughs> and I love how the FBI press releases were all talking about the, um, the dark internet, the criminal internet. Yeah. Um, I thought it was all just the same you know <laughs> well it makes a change from that, porn doesn't well, it well it's various dark really corners does. of the internet yes. eh? yeah, 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 yeah 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 uh which has nothing to do with dark fiber for those that were uh, <laughs> you know wondering um so yeah i mean quite 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 fascinating that they've they've arrested this chap shut down his website so it's it's got the big uh you know this uh site has been uh seized etc etc um stuff uh coming up and and now it was accessed through um through a tool called tor wasn't it yeah uh which which is a um you know a tool that's been used to uh um i guess yeah protect uh, people from being spied on, and uh, you know, keep it's it pretty what people secure. use to download movies. That's yeah. well, I think <laughs> Tor's, Tor, that, Tor's I got all sorts yeah, of yeah, uh, you know, all all sorts of uh, you know, uh, uses from from security. you know, from from for keeping uh, communications encrypted, and for not revealing you know yeah. where that person's communicating but, from. Whereas traditionally, you know, if somebody sends an email, someone does a does a communication. Yeah, you can see uh, you know what well, what point on the internet that happened from mm. and and this has done a, you know a pretty good job of uh, of blocking that in the past well it turns um, out that it didn't because the um yeah, the, the americans have been all over the americans were all over well right? i think there's been there's some debate about that and i i mean i haven't uh, dived heavily yeah. into it but it sounds like they've used some more maybe some more uh, you know traditional uh, you know, sort of, sort of means. I don't think that they've actually uh, broken through and completely compromised. No, no, the, no, no, know, no not, the, not everything. The, 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 no, but the, the lesson there is: if you think you've got something which protects you from being spied on, it probably doesn't. If you're so naughty, if, if you're, yeah, <laughs> they're yeah, going to yeah, come yeah. looking for you. That's true. That's for me, true. the the interesting bit about all of this was the um, the uh, seizing of all of the bitcoins, yeah. uh, the digital currency. So. Um, uh, uh, Ulbricht, um, however you say that, is um, he apparently they seized twenty six thousand bitcoins, uh, but they're trying to get their hands on uh, nearly six hundred thousand bitcoins, which Ulbricht himself is thought to be holding, worth around eighty million US dollars. So that that really rips the scab off the top of the whole bitcoin um, market and makes it uh, into something that. The, uh, the 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 countries of the world are looking at from a revenue perspective. Yeah, well, it's not small potatoes. It's, uh, it's no, a big business, big, yeah. big money, isn't it? And and I mean, this sort of I guess virtual or you know, well, it has been a virtual currency. But you know, those that have uh, that have been using it have been able to convert uh, their their Bitcoin into mm. uh, you know into US dollars, etc. That's right. And I mean, when this whole thing happened, because uh, because so much of the uh, uh, the currency was was being uh, you know go, going through um, the the this through Silk Road. Um, there was an immediate devaluation yeah. in, yeah, the, in, yeah. the, in the in the in the currency, currency which, itself, which was interesting. But, which is but what you, I've said. Which is what it's been my criticism of Bitcoin in the past. Is you don't want to get your salary in a currency which can halve in value. 
But I guess you can do that with any, you know, well, the New Zealand. Zimbabwe dollars. Yeah, yeah. yeah, New Zealand dollar floats. <laughs> so Yeah, it, yeah but yeah. it doesn't halve in value. Well, you'd hope not. Well, there's some interesting <laughs> things. 1937 uh, in Germany. There's some inter- of cash. Yeah, there's yeah. an interesting thing around this currency, though, for, though, for those that are doing, um, you know, illegal activities shall we say and in mm. this in this case um paul you've mentioned about the uh you know the fbi wanting to uh you know confiscate his uh, his bitcoins um but because of the way in in which uh you know the whole thing operates mm. that might not that might be easier said than done that's in right a, in a traditional sense if he had us dollars that were sitting yeah. in a bank account wherever yeah. they might have been in the world that pretty good that's chance of being able yeah. to you know freeze those funds and and uh you know, and take them over, but but uh, in the case of Bitcoin, uh, how easy is that? Well, that it's it's fully encrypted. You need to get the key to his side of the uh, the encryption handshake um, in order to to get the coins. He's obviously not holding those out, no. uh, and uh, and that makes life rather difficult for the FBI. And this is really the big concern that the um, the big revenue organizations like uh, Inland Revenue, the FBI, Department of Justice in the States, that they are quite concerned about Bitcoin for its ability to be um, usable as a proper currency and yet be completely under the radar. And and this whole question of revenue uh, is something that um, all of the governments around the world will be struggling with in the next few years because of the internet. Uh, you know, we're already seeing um, shop um, shop owners in New Zealand complaining that if I buy something online, I don't pay GST on it. Uh, that's the tip of the iceberg when it comes to money laundering, moving cash around the place, uh, investment, um, paying tax on, on things in one country but not in another. We've seen the corporates uh, playing their, their tax shell game um, internationally so that Google has everything booked through Ireland where it doesn't pay any tax. You That's know, right. This but kind of carry-on. They're going to have to address all of this in a very big way in the not-too-distant and future. A, and there's an actually a really unpleasant aspect to this, and it's much the same as um, down at NetHui when mm. I forget the name, the ch- chap's name who was um, an ex-spook pretty much said, well, if you encrypt stuff, yeah, that's what they go looking for first because yeah. that's where that because that's where the stuff <laughs> they're interested the is going to be. Yeah. Well, you know, if you've got bitcoins, they're going to come looking at you first because yeah. chances it's, it's are deemed to be yeah, yeah. there's this drug money or yeah. whatever there, which is which is terrible really because it it should just be an easy way. It's a bit like PayPal. It's an yeah. easy way of. Uh, paying for stuff online without oh. exposing your entire family fortune to... Don't get me started on PayPal. <laughs> hey, it's paying for our space flight future, so I'm happy with it. It's all good. <laughs> well, yeah, well, pay, 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 PayPal is one of those interesting things. And, I mean, any of these uh, you know, online mechanisms that mm. don't have all the traditional processes <laughs> in place and regulatory systems around them, uh, can make it very difficult if something goes wrong. So you think if you have an issue with your bank, you know, in yeah, New Zealand yeah. you've got the banking ombudsman and the, there's some processes you can go through. But some of the uh, yeah, potential issues you might have with PayPal or, or, or otherwise, and there aren't a lot of these sorts of systems yet, PayPal's, uh, I guess, mm. the, the main thing out there other than Bitcoin. You know, some people get into some real uh, difficulties, and I'm not sure if either of you have come across any major ones? I think Bill, you were maybe alluding to something no, well, here, but well, I'm I've come across people that have been well uh, burnt with well, situations and transactions yeah, where money's been pulled out of their their yeah. Uh, yeah PayPal account, and they're kind of stuck. Well, it's not yeah. only that; it's that the the um, spam phishing messages that yeah, you get yeah, yeah. connected to PayPal look at the, they're indistinguishable from the real thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, it makes me shudder every time I get. I mean, mm. and and. 
you know, other organisations say we will never email you with this kind of important information. PayPal does. Yeah, regularly. And, um, yep. and so it's, 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 it's almost impossible to tell whether it's a phishing attempt yeah, or yeah. a real thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and given how much transaction goes through PayPal these days, it's, it's a major oversight, really. Yeah. They've, they've got to be a lot smarter about this. I must say, I had trouble with them a few months ago, and uh, they couldn't have helped more. There's a Twitter account you can you can yeah. contact. They they then call you. It it, it flows right. quite nicely. And maybe it's improved a whole uh, yeah, a whole I think, lot from I think where they've it was taken on a lot of uh, yeah, yeah, days. That's, yeah. that's right. But I, I'm still nervous. The thing is, is that mm. I'm thinking here. I'm relatively technology savvy. I know what I'm yep. doing with these things. Some people yeah. are not, and they're going to be totally bamboozled, completely taken by surprise. Yeah. yeah. Now, a um, couple of things before we finish up. Uh, Twitter, they're doing a, um, the, an IPO in an the US. They're, uh, they're landing themselves on the uh, stock exchange, mm. uh, hoping to raise about a billion billion dollars. A billion US, yeah, valuing the company at about 12.5 to 13 billion US dollars, which is quite nice. Um, the last big launch, of course, we had was Facebook, and I don't think the Facebook shares have even crawled back up to. No, you know, they, to have, the they have. They have. They have finally. The yeah, 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 I think they're. I think they're but back up at that sort I of launch level. But, Facebook, but they but dropped Twitter for a long would, time, didn't they? They but did. They did. They were very I like. Low. I like Twitter more than I like Facebook. But yeah. Facebook is a much easier way for someone to make money. Than it is. Twitter. I, I don't see any way of Twitter making money without like, destroying without, itself. Yeah, without eating yeah, itself alive, yeah. and that would be a crying shame. I think the only possible future for Twitter is that somebody buys it and runs it because it's so important not because they can make any money from it yeah. it's yeah. quite bizarre Yeah, you can yeah. imagine a Google or a Microsoft or that's right I don't know um, there, are, there are a few few others um, yeah Facebook um, <laughs> Facebook Yahoo maybe oh doesn't isn't worth enough but you know there are others that would like to yeah. uh, probably get in there and have that as, as one of their uh, one of their entities so yeah yeah, I'm not quite sure what to make of this. It's. Uh, I imagine the shares will do quite well. Uh, well, you know, maybe I, how, I don't know. I mean, after seeing what happened with Facebook, they yeah. launched and then they, you know, they dropped in value. Um, LinkedIn has been an interesting one to watch because mm. they've really skyrocketed. Uh, so you know, uh, my pick is hey, it's anyone's guess. I don't, yes. I don't really have a pick. Unfortunately, yeah. on I, I'm st- I still struggle to see where the value in Twitter is, though. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly from a monetary point of view. Yeah. I don't know how you monetize Twitter without, as you say, build destroying it completely. Yeah. Oh well, we will. Yeah. Uh, we will look forward to what what actually happens it's in not that like case. Not any and, money to um, put into yeah. shares anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all a bit moot. A um, couple of other bits to we'll, we'll, we'll um, we're going to chat about later. One is um, HP have uh, have sent us their new uh, micro server, and these sort of little low cost servers are, are quite interesting. So um, this one's just arrived in the last uh, few days. They've sent them out to bloggers and podcasters and the like around the world. But I'm quite a fan of these little little servers mm. uh, for in home environments and things like that. So. Uh, um, we'll come back on and talk about that one on a on a future uh, episode. But very nice looking new box compared yep. to good wife acceptance. My, my my old one, which is, uh, is 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 still sitting sitting at home and uh, and and ticking along. Mm. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see where where it sort of fits alongside because um, IBM have got a sort of lower cost server as well. But what I quite like about the HP, the micro server uh, name describes what it is physically. It's uh, it's a pretty small box. It is. It's no bigger um, than a small stereo, is it? No. And although it's um, it's reasonably heavy once it's full of um, uh, hard drives. 
um, full of movies uh, or and, quite and, a bit. and and content. So, <laughs> Music's uh, not so bad, but movies they're very heavy. Yeah, yeah. Um, no doubt, in a few years' time, we won't need these sort of things at all. But they still have some um, yeah. some some quite good benefit today. Um, also, we've got an interview covering uh, Dell's new uh, tablets, so we'll jump into that right now. Uh, so I'm here with uh, with Neil Hand from Dell, and we're getting an early uh, sneak peek of uh, what Dell has uh, has coming to market in terms of new uh, new tablet devices. We're actually recording this ahead of when you'll be listening, uh, because uh, this uh, these products are being kept under wraps. But when when you hear this, these products will be uh, starting to become available, and certainly all the information will be uh, will be launching and, and available to the public. So Hence why we can share them with you now. Uh, Neil, run us through what you've got. You've got some, uh, some two new uh, Intel-based uh, Android tablets and looking at three different uh, Windows-based tablets. Yeah, so thanks. It's great to be here again. So firstly, we're announcing an entire Venue products set for tablets. Venue is the brand that we're using to signify this is the portable product from Dell you're going to carry in your pocket or in your purse. We have three families in this. The Venue 11 Pro, which are Windows 8 boast 11-inch display products with a full high-definition display. They can either use Baytrail processors or Intel Haswell Core IAs to have great performance levels, as well as having a range of options from keyboards and desktop docks that mean you can use it as a desktop, a laptop, or a full tablet all in the same set of products. Secondly, there's the uh, Venue 8 Pro, which is our full Windows 8 product, also based on on, uh, Baytrail, that gives great performance in your pocket um, with a great less than 9 millimeter thick design, less than 400 grams, you can carry every day. The other really exciting piece is expansion of our product portfolio to include Android with the Venue 8 and 7 products. These have standard Android on them, but very high-quality IPS displays at 7 or 8-inch sizes. The great level of performance and memory systems in them. So, for example, we include 2 gigabytes of system memory. Over time, if you buy it in uh, holiday 2013, in holiday 2014, you probably want to run a new game that requires more capability. These will have the grunt to be able to go off and do that. They look they look really nice actually quite similar between the um, the the venue seven and venue eight the you know, design looks virtually identical it's really just the size uh, and those being the Android products now um, I guess this is sort of what we're seeing the first wave of um, uh, your Android tablets are coming through with the the atom the bay trail atom inside um, why is it that you've sort of chosen to go down that track rather than uh, arm which is sort of been the, you know, the, the traditional choice for Android devices? Well, we're seeing that uh, Intel has really stepped it up in terms of the performance and battery life they're getting out of their systems. So by actually standardizing across that portfolio, it's a lot easier for us to design in the right kinds of features for our customers and hit the right kinds of cost points. These are still going to be very high performing, but at very competitive prices. And really, we want to make sure that the Dell value proposition is a great product that feels and performs well in your hand, but it's something you're going to be proud of carrying today and in a year and in two years time and that it really keeps up with what your users needs are going to be over that time. 
Now, also something unique with the Dell Venue 11 Pro, I mean, this is, I'm sure, the first time I've seen a, a product uh, that you know, carries effectively the same name but is available with two very different uh, processors. Uh, so you've got that available with the core I, uh, yeah, chips inside but, but also with the Baytrail uh, Atom. Um, can you run us through how that works and what are the differences in terms of weight going between the, uh, uh, the Baytrail and the core I, the Haswell uh, chips? Sure. I, I think the really important thing here is, you know, Venue is, is a brand for us, you know, is for either consumers or business customers. We've got a lot of business customers who are standardizing on Core i for their laptops, their desktops, and everything else. By having a Core i option in the Venue 11 Pro, that allows those customers to have one standard image they can use across all of it. The alternative with Baytrail is a really, really high performance. You know, that's, Intel has done a fantastic job of getting that level of performance. We're running you know, you know, pr- professional gaming systems on here like World of Tanks, World of Warcraft at great high levels. Um, yet gives 10 plus hours worth of battery life in that system in a package that really isn't that much difference between them. Both of them have the same high definition 1900 by 1200 uh, 10.8 inch display on them, very vibrant screen. But, you know, for a few tens of grams between the pair of them, you can actually make that choice very easily. And I think very importantly in the way we designed it, all of the keyboard options, the desktop docks are completely compatible across them. So if you're a business, you can make the choice dependent on the user. If you're an individual consumer, you can just buy something and know all of the things that you buy are compatible across the family. Yeah, it, I mean, it does. It does look really cool. We, you know, we've got one of them here sitting on a uh, a dock, uh, which I understand in the US is going to be starting at uh, ninety nine dollars. We've got another one here sitting on a keyboard, uh, which, which is somewhat reminiscent of uh, of what Microsoft uh, have with their uh, their their uh, type cover uh, for the the Surface, but it's also got a a kickstand built into the uh, cover, so it saves you having to have that actually in the tablet and then uh, you've got the option of basically turning it into a, uh, a full laptop by docking the, uh, the tablet into a, uh, a full-blown keyboard which is, uh, is pretty unique and I think it's, it's, a, it's a great approach so uh, yeah well done on the design now um, just run us through the one that has the full-blown keyboard that sort of turns it into I guess a uh, smaller laptop and we're talking smaller because these are 10.8 inch uh, displays um, that's got a battery inside. Is that give, is that right? It gives you a bit of uh, extension to the uh, the included uh, battery within the uh, Venue Eleven Pro. Yeah, that's right. What we really wanted to do was say there are different ways you use these systems depending on when and, and what day it happens to be. With more the uh, the Typecast keyboard, you said we wanted to make it feel completely like just a cover on your tablet, and that tablet's going to have seven, eight, nine, ten hours worth of battery life in it as it as it as it is. But if you're getting on a long flight or you're going to be busy running around the office. Um, the expanded battery keyboard gives you a, a full travel keyboard, but gives you an extra four, five, or six hours worth of battery life. So if you're on a long flight, you've got 14, 15, 16 hours. You're not going to worry about range anxiety. Am I going to get to my destination and still have enough battery to either finish my email or watch that movie? That just You don't want to lose that last five minutes of the movie. Yeah, cool. Now, um, one last question. What you're doing here, you've got some innovative products. Um, 
you're competing obviously now with uh, Microsoft who are your partner to some degree so in the past I imagine you might have showed some of these designs off to Microsoft uh, you know reasonably early on in the piece how difficult is that uh, now now that they're uh, you know that they're producing a uh, uh, a product in the, in the same space I, I never worry about competition it's a competitive marketplace we're always doing that you know, on the Venue 8 Pro, we actually agreed with them to move the uh, window switch to the side of the system, which is how, actually how most users want to hold something. And that's something we uniquely figured out with them to go off and do. So I think we really have the opportunity to continue to innovate in what we're doing. And I'm focused on what the customer base cares about, not about what Microsoft want to do with their Surface division. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time, Neil. Thanks very much. It was great to be talking to you again. And, well, that really winds us up for this week, uh, guys. Thank you both for joining us. Mm, now, uh, Paul, where do we find you online? You can find me at uh, the Two Ends website, uh, twoends.org.nz, uh, or at Twitter at Paul Brislin. Excellent. And I'm Bill Bennett NZ on Twitter, and digital without an A, D-I-G-T-L, um, dot co dot NZ. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you both for joining us. You can track me down online uh, at Paul Spain on uh, on Twitter, uh, or I have a uh, blog at techjungle.com and paulspain.com also. Uh, and you can find the NZ Tech Podcast at nztechpodcast.com and uh, Twitter and Facebook and uh, Google Plus, etc. as well. So thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next week for the next episode. See ya.